This podcast is brought to you in association with Cloud Banking. It's the only country in the world that has this type of identification system, especially one that is so universally adopted. That's opened up the opportunity for fintech. When it was designed, people thought about some of the applications, but never the number of applications that you have today. Why is that not happening? Why is that same, you know, why can't you buy a banana with your biometrics in the United States or in Canada? This is the GFF 23 show. This podcast brings you a taste of the global fintech fest organized by the National Payments Corporations of India, Payments Council of India, and the Fintech Convergence Council, happening in Mumbai from the 5th through the 7th of September, 2023. Over the past three years, GFF has grown to become the largest fintech summit globally, demonstrating the pivotal role of fintech and driving sustainable global advancement by showcasing a 360-degree view of its transformative potential. Today, we have Neetu Chitkara, Managing Director and Partner at BCG, having a one-on-one with Mark Wiseman, Chair of the Alberta Investment Management Corporation, Canada's largest investment manager with $160 billion of assets, and ex-president and CEO of Canada Pension Plan Investment Board. Neetu and Mark delve deep into the investment climate globally, specifically for fintech startups, the importance of choosing the right partner to grow your business, and how one of the biggest challenges faced by the fintech industry is the adoption of technology to aid the user in their daily financial needs as opposed to traditional banking practices. Boston Consulting Group is the thought leadership partner for this episode. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining in for this podcast for the Global Fintech Festival. Fintech itself is barely a generation old. And yet, in its nanosecond of history compared to, you know, the longer human history, we've already seen it impact billions of lives. So, Mark, I wanted to start by asking you, given, you know, you've been involved as an investor over the last two decades, uh, on your perspectives on the growth of the sector. Uh, well, look, I'm delighted to be here and, um, and to be part of this uh, really special event. And, uh, you know, as an investor, fintech is something that, you know, we have to pay attention to. We have to pay attention to it, not just as an opportunity for us to invest, but also our own industry and seeing how it may affect um, asset management, the investment industry in general. So fintech actually plays a very important role in almost everything that I do. Fantastic. And, and, you know, while the sector has its importance, how do you see, uh, let's say, investments within a sector? You know, it's, I'm sure as an investor, it must be really difficult to differentiate between real innovation and, you know, sort of the cool, shiny thing. Well, look, I think that's one of the things that's very hard as, as, as an investor, um, because there is lots of cool, shiny things out there. We read about it. Um, we, some of us use it. Um, you know, we all want um, to have a piece of that, as you say, that new shiny thing. One of the things as an investor that's very, very important to understand is that not everybody's like me. And I think in fintech in particular, where you have early adopters, people that are technologically savvy, um, people that understand um, how to use technology, there's sort of a belief that everybody in the world, that every consumer is going to adopt what you're doing uh, exactly the way that you've uh, adopted a product or a service. Um, and that actually makes uh, investing, you have to be very, very careful in that regard. 
you know, I remember uh, in the early days of the BlackBerry, I'm Canadian, and I remember in the early days of the BlackBerry, I asked my investment team, you know, I said, how many of you have a BlackBerry? And of course, we all had BlackBerry. So they all put up, they all, everybody put up their hand. Um, and then I said, well, well, how many people in the world have, you know, there's 100% of the sample size here has a BlackBerry. You know, how many people in the world have Blackberries? And it was only about 300,000, there's only been about 300,000 Blackberries sold. And so you have to remember, I think that not everybody is like me, right? Like you are, if you're, especially if you're in the industry where you spend a lot of the time in the industry, it's very easy to believe that, you know, the entire population, the entire world has adopted the same habits, has, has been an adopter of technology, as a user of technology, uh, the way that you are. And at the end of the day, of course, that's not true. And so doing the research, really understanding uh, adoption curves, really understanding, um, you know, what is the real use case for the average human being, not the technologically savvy um, tech investor, um, because at the end of the day, um, you have to make money off of average human beings, not just uh, the savvy tech investors. Yeah. And, and I can see that, in fact, within India itself, right, there are so many Indias that exist. So I, I guess that makes it even more complex. So are there any tips on, you know, how do you actually look at winners in an industry versus not? Well, I think you really have to do your market research. And, um, and, and also, you know, part of sort of venture investing is not trying to pick every winner. You have to uh, make sure that you're diversified in the way that you invest. You have to um, be focused on a sector, but you also have to then be able to have that detailed focus on part of the market and then lift yourself up and look at the bigger picture. And, you know, as you say, India is sort of a, it is, is sort of a, uh, you know, an example in and of itself. As you say, there's many Indias, uh, there's many parts of the country, there's regional disparity, there's obviously massive uh, economic disparity, there's even disparity in education and literacy around the country. And at the end of the day, um, you know, you can't believe just because you've invented a, what you think is a better mousetrap, um, you know, that a billion people uh, are going to adopt it. It's simply not the case. And so one of the ways um, that uh, I think investors, spe specifically in this uh, industry, um, what you need to do is not just find that one winner, um, you have to diversify your investments because it's not always clear um, who is going to emerge as, as the champion. Very interesting. And, and also, do you see this, you know, change over time? So let's say the benchmark of, you know, for a VC change, uh, let's say, you know, in, in, in the winter versus not. I remember doing this uh, a similar session uh, last year and, and, you know, the funding winter had begun to set in. Um, and, and now, you know, you can already see that in the numbers. 2021 was, you know, $140 billion of global funding in fintech. And, you know, 2022 was already $80 billion. So uh, how do you see this play out over different times? Well, look, there definitely is a cycle to the market. There's a cycle to the availability of capital. There's a cycle to raising that capital for VCs, for example. And we're certainly in a cycle now where capital has become much, much more scarce. So it wasn't that long ago um, that, um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, deals were scarce and capital was chasing deals, right? You could, you, you, you'd have an idea you know, you'd write it down on a sticky note and suddenly six VCs would show up with term sheets, right? And that's, that's not happening anymore. And, and we're in a cycle now where, where capital has been uh, more scarce, uh, has become more scarce, where 
Um, now deals are chasing capital as opposed to capital chasing deals. Uh, it's taking longer to go from term sheet to deal. Uh, the terms, the pricing, the conditions are becoming more difficult. Uh, and so I think if you are an innovator, uh, if you are a founder, um, it is going to be harder to get your uh, idea funded than it was uh, previously. Unfortunately for the founders and innovators, um, I think that um, this cycle may persist for longer than we think. Um, ultimately, the capital that is available to invest in fintech and other forms of technology comes from uh, institutional investors. Those institutional investors today are more cautious, they're risk off, and with rising interest rates, um, they're able to deploy capital in a less risky way and still make a, in some cases, a sufficient return to fund their liabilities. So as long as rates remain high, as long as institutional investors uh, remain risk off in nature, that's gonna flow through. It's gonna flow through uh, to the way that they allocate capital. That's gonna flow through to the funding that VCs get. And that's ultimately gonna flow through uh, to the capital that's available. So what does that mean, I think, as an innovator or, a, or an entrepreneur? It means that you have to be um, you know, more conservative in your business model. You have to be more conservative in terms of, of your rollout uh, and how you're going to spend, uh, how you're going to expense and uh, spend your, how you're going to manage your expenses and, and spend money um, as you uh, are in a pre-revenue stage. Um, so I think this is going to require a lot more discipline on the part of entrepreneurs and founders than it has historically. And I think this is going to persist. Not necessarily a bad thing, um, but people are going to have to work harder and sharpen their pencils. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can already see that, right? That there is a lot of, I would say, optimism over the long term. Like we are seeing that fintechs themselves would be, you know, 9% of, of banking revenues and 25% of, you know, valuation compared to the banks. So there, by 2030, so there is a great, you know, kind of story out there. But if I'm a founder at this point of time, I, I, I can already, you know, see the pinch. So, but I guess... Uh, you know, at this point, I guess not being that picky, uh, you know, about valuations. Do you think that's what it means or what do you do? Well, I, th I think you're right. Like, I think you can't be too picky about valuations. You can't be too picky about terms and conditions. But what you still have to, in my view, be very picky about is who your partners are going to be. Mm -hmm. So I think having a, a capital partner, in fact, the capital or the money is just part of the equation. I think what's always been important and in times like these is increasingly important is to have the right partner who can help you grow your business. So I'd encourage entrepreneurs and founders um, to think really hard, not just about the quantum of the capital that they're bringing in or the cost of the capital they're bringing in, but as importantly, the who, who is providing that capital? How is, uh, how is that capital provider going to help me um, in other ways, grow my business? What type of connectivity are they going to be able to provide me? What type of advice are they going to be able to give me? What type of introductions to customers or other providers of technology uh, are they going to be able to uh, uh, show me? Um, what is their experience in working with people like me in the past? Um, and how has that gone? I mean, in terms of, uh, of mentoring the development of my business. And so I think that, um, you know, when, uh, when, when capital is scarce, um, the mistake that entrepreneurs and founders can make is saying, well, I'm just going to take the money from anybody who can provide it, or I'm just going to take the money at the highest valuation, no matter what. 
That's short-term thinking. In the long run, the quality of the partner you have is as important uh, as the quantum of money or the valuation. Particularly when there's a bumpy ride. So you want to make sure you have the right partner uh, next to you. I, I can I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say particularly when there's a bumpy ride. But even when there isn't a bumpy ride, you know, it's hard to do it yourself. You need people around you um, who've had uh, experience in the past. And it's one of the reasons why investors um, like serial entrepreneurs. They like people that have done it before, um, you know, who've, who've seen the difficulties, who know what hurdles you have to get over, who know what uh, what it's like uh, in those uh, long, hard days when things don't go the way that you expect. Um, they know they need people who've got experience managing a team. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why investors like serial entrepreneurs, um, but serial entrepreneurs should like serial investors as well. Um, so um, I, I think it's very important to see the quality uh, and the, just the fit with the partner that you choose um, to bring into your business. Got it. And are there certain areas within fintech that you're more bullish about, Mark? Before we go on with the episode, a quick word from our sponsors. In the heart of the banking world, where every second counts and efficiency is paramount, a revelation, a cloud solution Indian banking can rely upon. Cloud banking. Process loans in less than 10 minutes with seamless integration, automation at its finest, and workflows that adapt to your needs. Step into the future. Elevate your bank's lending operations with cloud banking. Now, back to the episode. Well, look, there's a, there's a whole bunch of areas and most people tend to point to payments as, as, as the big space. I, I, you know, I, I look at the industry that I understand the most, which is, which is asset management. Um, and I still think we have a long way to go in terms of innovation um, and applying technology to, uh, to asset management. Now it's a tough area because like many things in FinTech, um, it is, you know, highly regulated in, in, in spots, um, that makes it sort of more difficult to, to break into, but I still think we have a long way to go in asset management. And I've seen a lot of innovation, uh, today taking place, um, in the asset management industry. And by the way, I think this is a very good thing. And I think it's a good thing for the retail a uh, saver in particular, because he or she today uh, is still paying fees that are uh, too high, uh, still don't have access um, to the types of products, uh, investment products that more sophisticated investors have, um, and still um, is living in a world um, without the full um, ability to adopt and utilize technology. So the one area I'm, I'm spending a lot of time focusing on, and obviously I'm closest to it, is what's happening in asset management and particularly in the democratization of asset management down to um, ultimately the retail investor. And I think yeah. there's a lot of, I think there's a lot to be done there. I think there's a lot of innovation to come and I think there's a lot of money to be made. Yeah, I mean, I can relate, especially again in India, right? So the, the same problems, but also, you know, if you look at the math, that's actually much larger. And, uh, you know, we were doing this generative AI event and one of the things was, can you provide the right advice, the right inputs, you know, to, to this type of uh, customer at a, you know, scale and, and cost, which is economically feasible. And, you know, that's a huge unlock uh, just just waiting to be out there. Yeah. And I, and I think the other thing that's important, this is actually a great example. We were talking earlier about, you know, adoption and not everybody's like me. This is a great example of where, you know, I think that um, I think that founders, entrepreneurs, and others 
mm. uh, in the fintech industry uh, need to be realistic about what the adoption curve is going to be. Yeah. You know, in areas like robo-advice, for example, we've been talking about it for a long time, for well over a decade. But as it turns out, uh, most people with their hard-earned savings, um, they like they still like dealing with human beings. They want to go to their bank branch. They want to go uh, to their uh, investment manager. They want to have the interaction of somebody they trust. And they're really not willing to make a few clicks on, a, on, a, on an iPhone or a computer screen um, in order to invest their capital. And so the adoption is still a big part of the problem. How do you get people to move to the use the technology, even if it's better for them, even if it's more efficient, particularly in an area like savings, it's critical to everything in their life. Um, they tend to want that old fashioned human touch. Now, younger generations, of course, are getting over that very, very quickly, but the older generation is where the wealth is still. And so that adoption curve has been much slower um, than most of us uh, anticipated. Um, now, I think that that adoption curve, um, which has by and large been arithmetic in basis, will at some point go over a tipping point and become geometric, but that takes a long uh, time. And so I think it's a great example of what we were talking about earlier, that you, you can't assume that everybody is like you. You can't assume that everybody is technologically savvy or wants to be technologically savvy. Um, and I think in fintech, this is sometimes a big, uh, an issue that gets ahead of us. And I think in asset management, yeah. uh, we've really, really seen that where the adoption curve has been much slower um, than, than we might have expected or quite frankly may have wanted. Yeah. And, and then how do you look at hybrid models to make that go up? And, you know, what are the kind of things you, you can do that? So, you know, let me move, uh, you know, to the last question. And I would be really amiss if I, if I didn't ask you this that, you know, we in, obvious, in India are obviously very optimistic about the kind of developments that are happening in, in India. You know, UPI obviously has uh, made its mark, uh, you know, across many other nations as well. Uh, how do you see this, you know, sitting outside? Uh, what's your views, uh, you know, looking at the India story from, from a bit of a distance? Well, those who know me know I've been a, a big India bull for, for a long time. And, and in fact, uh, the institutions I've represented have have had great success investing in India, and, and uh, I, I continue to believe that India is going to outperform, probably not just outperform um, other markets, but probably outperform uh, its own expectations. I mean, this is India's uh, time. Yeah. One of the things I would say that's unique, um, and, and you, you know, you talked about UPI or Adhar, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I never quite heard it. Is it Adhar? Adhar, Adhar yes, it's Adhar. Yeah. So, so look, you've talked about UPI and you've looked, talked about Adhar. You know, it's remarkable what that has unlocked, um, particularly in, in fintech. And it wasn't designed for fintech, right? It was designed uh, for broader identification means for, for individuals. But it took the government doing something. Uh, it took the government to push that through. And then the knock-on effects of that have been huge. And that's one of the things I think we, can, we forget sometimes in fintech, um, that ultimately... Um, it often takes government, a change in regulation, the adoption of technology by government um, to really, really open things up. And I think it's a great example of where India has, has, has succeeded. Um, it's the only country in the world um, that has this type of identification system, especially one that is so universally adopted. That's opened up the opportunity for fintech. I mean, when it was designed, it, no one thought about it as sort of 
people thought about some of the applications, but never the number of applications that, that you have um, today. Why is that not happening? Why is that same, you know, why can't you buy a banana um, with your biometrics in the United States or in Canada, for example? Well, yeah. it's because we don't have the same system that India has adopted. Um, so many times it takes a big move and a bold move in by government to sort of unlock private sector opportunity, whether it's adopting something like Adhar um, or whether it's removing regulation of some sort and allowing uh, competition or access to a market. And I think India's actually done quite a good job in this regard. It's been bold. You know, people talk about India being slow and bureaucratic, and for sure that is true uh, in many sectors. But I think when it decides to move, it moves decisively. Yeah. Um, and when the government moves decisively, it really opens up sort of a uh, a tidal wave of opportunities. And so I think I think this is India's time. Um, I think uh, it's now up to the private sector um, to decide what it's going to do um, with those advantages and to an investor to see what they're going to do with those advantages um, to create uh, additional return and ultimately wealth for the country. Fantastic. And we're looking forward to that in the next five years as well. I think you've already seen the UPI story. There are many others which are, I would say, you know, at, at the side sidelines and, you know, are, are just waiting to come into the spotlight. So, yeah, it's going to be an exciting five years ahead. Five years and beyond for sure. I'm uh, I'm delighted to be part of it and, uh, um, you know, hopefully um, can deploy some capital in the country. Um, but most importantly, um, I'll be watching uh, India's continued su success, particularly um, in the fintech area. Fantastic. It was very nice speaking to you, Mark. And thanks, everyone, for listening in. Thanks, Nidu. We want to take this opportunity to thank Neetu Chitkara, Managing Director and Partner at BCG, and Mr. Mark Wiseman, Chair of the Alberta Investment Management Corporation, for taking time off their schedule to bring you this episode. The Global Fintech Fest, global collaboration for a responsible financial ecosystem. Inclusive, resilient, sustainable. Happening in Mumbai from the 5th through the 7th of September, 2023. The Global Fintech Fest 23 is brought to you by the National Payments Corporations of India, the Payments Council of India, and the Fintech Convergence Council. For more details about GFF 23, visit globalfintechfest.com. To listen to previous episodes of the GFF23 show, visit ubersaga.com. We also want to thank the team at Ubersaga, the official podcast partner for GFF23. Post-production and sound design by Subash. Editing, scripting and voiceover by Abe. <laughs>